0: Hey, everybody, I wanna to talk to you today about things that stand the test of time. Uh, you know, things that just, you can't kill them, they, they they just won't die, they just keep going strong. In fact, some of them even get better as they age. You know, maybe for you, you can think of some things in your life that are, are like they just stand the test of time. Maybe for you, it's a classic movie or maybe it's a great book that you just love to go back to it again and again. Maybe it's a little more practical. Maybe like an appliance, like a fridge that just won't quit. Or, or a dishwasher, a clothes washer. Saying This thing lasted forever. Best purchase I ever made. Uh, maybe it's uh, a favorite shirt that you wear that you just had it for a long time. Uh, maybe your child has a stuffed uh, animal or a blanket that just they are holding tight and they are hanging on to it for a long time. Maybe it's your house. Maybe you have an old house that stood the test of time. Maybe it's your car and it's just like going strong and just can't believe how reliable it is. Uh, Yeah, that's what I want to talk to you about today. Things that stand the test of time. By the way, just to note, we're having that Valley Classic car show, and I've been every single time, I think. Uh, and there are some classic cars coming up this Saturday. Uh, do not miss it. Uh, let's take a look at some of them from last year. Yeah, I mean, look at these incredibly classic cars. And then this one's really old. And then you got one that is just so, a couple here that are so cool and amazing. You won't wanna miss it. They are classic cars. Uh, you know, Ruth and I have had old cars. Uh, I don't know if they're classics, but they have stood the the test of time in some ways. Uh, Our first car, when we got married 38 years ago, was a 1976 Mercury Monarch. It looked a lot like this, only it was gray. It did have kind of that suede leather top. Uh, really stylish back then. As I recall, though, the car looked a lot more like this model, actually. But anyway, you get the idea. It it, it, it lasted a long time for us. So Old Faithful, the Old Faithful Monarch. We've had other ones along the way. I just reflected on a few of those. Here's an old, uh, our Datsun 310 GX. Uh, Great car. Yeah, now this is a classic. The Celebrity... Wagon Chevrolet celebrity wagon. I kept telling my kids as they were going up, someday this can all be yours. Here's another one. Uh, yeah, it's the GMC Safari minivan. It's the not-so-minivan. I mean, it's gigantic. Uh, we had that for a while. And then uh, here's my, actually, my current car, a 2004 Toyota Avalon with 141,000 miles. So, yeah, these... Uh, These are not exactly classic. In fact, all those cars, I've never seen a single car uh, model that I've owned that's ever been in a classic car show. Um, They were good cars, durable, but they weren't really classics. They had grit, but they didn't really have grace. And today we're going to talk about grace and grit, grit and grace. More than mere durability, not just the quantity of time that, They hang on. But there's a transcendent classic quality to them. There's not just grit, there's grace, grace and grit. Guys, we live in an era of the disposable, of photos that disappear in hours, of short-term fads, limited attention spans, and constantly changing values. What lasts though? what endures in your own personal life, in your spiritual life, to really go the distance, you're gonna need more than just durability. You will need grace and grit. You and I are gonna need God's grace, but also we're gonna need spiritual grit. We need his strength, but we also need to persevere. So I wanna talk to you today about just, how do you build a family over the distance? How do you build friendships, relationships that last and that endure through all the peaks and valleys? How do you build a church that endures for generations to come, that stand the test of time? And when we come to those bumpy roads of life or the giant potholes or the hairpin turns or you're running on low on fuel, how do you keep going strong on the highway of life and in the way of Jesus? How do you just keep following him? Today, I want to give you four time-tested secrets from the book of Acts, a record of the early church, that will help you and I not only to survive, but to thrive and to go the distance through all the seasons of life. So let's talk about four secrets of grace and grit. Get out your Bible, if you could, or your Acts scripture journal, or go on here and just follow along with us. It's Acts chapter 14. And just Relating back to last weekend, Pastor Brandon brought us an incredible message, and I want to just kind of remind us where we've been on this little, what we call the first missionary journey of Paul. Barnabas accompanied him. So let's, let's go to the map again. Here's the wide angle, the big Mediterranean world. Jerusalem's way down here at the, at the bottom, but let's zoom in here to their actual, uh, their actual missionary journey. So they start over here in Antioch. And they come to Cyprus. We learned that. Then they came here to Perga, made their way to Antioch, the second Antioch that we came to. And then last week, Brandon t- took us through when they went to Lystra, to, to Antioch, uh, Iconium, and Lystra. And we left off uh, the Apostle Paul in Lystra, and here's what happened. He, he went in there sharing the good news and he actually healed a man who had not been able to walk from birth. And the crowds in Lystra were so amazed by what had happened. It says, when the crowds saw what Paul had done, they shouted saying in the Lyconian language, the gods have come down to us in human form. They thought they were deities, Paul and Barnabas. And Paul and Barbara say, no, 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 no. And they point them to the living God, the living one true God, and they share the good news with them. And they said, turn to him, trust in him. And the crowd is kind of on the, you know, not sure about what they think. And like, just like culture today, very fickle. One fad today, another trend tomorrow. Ever-changing, shifting cultural attitudes to this. One day... You're a hero, the next day you're the villain. Well, that's what happened there. It says in Acts chapter 14, uh, some Jews came over from Antioch and Iconium, so neighboring cities, and when they won over the crowds, it says they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city thinking he was dead. So the crowd completely turned on him. And after the disciples gathered around Paul, it says he got up, bruised, battered, bloody, and went into the town. He returned to the town where he'd been dragged out of. And it says the next day he left with Barnabas for Derby. And that's where we left off last weekend. I I, I wanna just slow down for a moment there though. And can we do like an instant replay and kinda watch this or listen to this in slow motion? I'm going to read to you from a great book, classic book by John Pollock called The Apostle that kind of repaints what we just heard. Uh, When the crowds were listening, thought they were gods, but then the the leaders came and tried to persuade them that they were bad guys. Here's what John Pollock writes. It was touch and go. The priest hesitated. The crowd wavered, murmuring, fearful, lest they angry one of their divinities, either their own idol or this living God that Paul talked about. Just then, strangers came on the scene, Jews by their dress, recognizable to Paul as antagonists from Antioch and Iconium, probably trading in Lystra. The men harangued the crowd. The murmur swelled, and with that terrifying suddenness of volatile mobs, the mood changed from worship to fury. A youth picked up a stone, took aim, and with a vicious flick, caught Paul full face. In a moment. Before Boniface or his friends could protect him, he was under a shower of stones on his jaw, the pit of his stomach, his chest, his temple. He felt stark and stiff, blood streaming from his nose and eyes. The crowd dragged the body out of the city and melted quickly away before the Roman guards at the gate could identify individual perpetrators. Converts to Christianity who had watched appalled at the sudden assault formed a ring around the body, shocked and uncertain, but Paul stirred, and with every muscle and nerve seared, head throbbing, stomach retching, he forced himself to stand. With the strength of God, sympathizers helped him slowly through the streets, now emptied of the mob for fear of civic action. They dressed his wounds, and the next day, when every bone in his body cried out to rest, he set off with Barnabas. Though Paul may have been lent a donkey, the journey would, not, not, be anyth- would be anything, not be anything but torture as they followed the road eastward along the lines of hills a short way and then into the great plain, into the teeth of winter winds and occasional snow flurries. Mile upon mile, they made the way through the featureless country while the volcanic black mountain stood like an island ahead, seeming little nearer every painful hour. And around the line of the native kingdom of Commagene, they were safe. They arrived at Derby, and here the battered Paul found welcome, response, and recovery. Indeed, it may have been the people of Derby who considered themselves Galatians that Paul had in mind when he wrote those words in his letter to the Galatians. You resisted, quote, you resisted any temptation to show scorn or disgust. At the poor state of my body, you welcome me as if I were an angel of God. You would have torn out your very eyes and given them to me. And the apostle made many disciples in Derby. So that's where we pick up the story. And now we go into the heart of the passage. They're at Derby now. I'm going to give you the four secrets. The first secret to truly having grace, experiencing the grace of God and having that grit, that perseverance, that grittiness that keeps you going through an ever-changing culture to build your family, to build relationships, to build God's church. Here's the principles he gives to us. First principle, is, first. first secret is the gospel. I wanna tell you, if you're going to persevere, if you're going to go the distance, you want to get strong in the good news. That's the center of everything. Look at verse 21. After they had preached the gospel in that town, in Derby, the good news of Jesus, and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, to Iconium, and to Antioch, strengthening the disciples by encouraging them to continue in the faith. So let's just stop there for a moment, and let's just listen. It says they, they shared the gospel. And for us, maybe in our minds, you know, they gave a little sermon or something. No, they made it a huge announcement to people who had never heard it before that God has made us in His image and likeness. And we've gone astray and we've fallen and we can't get up. But God in His mercy brought His kingdom. He came to restore. He came to rebuild. He came to forgive. He came to bring life. And he did this in the person of Jesus. God himself took on human flesh and and was fully God and fully man in the person of Jesus Christ. He performed many miracles. He lived a perfect sinless life. But the crowds turned on him as well. And they nailed him to a cross. Where on that cross, God poured out his wrath for our sins upon him. But on the third day, after he was dead and buried, on the third day, he rose again. He defeated sin and death. He rose from the dead, appeared to all kinds of witnesses, and then he ascended into heaven and he's coming again. This was a glorious announcement. They had not heard this before. They were so overwhelmed and overjoyed. They said, we wanna make our lives around this. We wanna center our very lives around the good news you just told us. And my friends, brothers and sisters, If we're going to go the distance, we're going to have to be gospel people. We're going to have to be ones who come back to that announcement and take it fresh and new in our lives and say, yes, this is true. God's kingdom is real. Jesus is real. He loves me. He forgives me. And he's here with me now. He lives and reigns, he's with us always. And through every peak and every valley, every difficulty, every challenge, he's there for us. That's what these people built their lives around. And that's what we need to build our lives around, the gospel of Jesus Christ, all right? And it says they returned to Lystra and Iconium after they made many disciples, tons of people came to faith. Uh, Lots of people became followers. And it says they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch. They went back to those very places where they'd been persecuted, where Paul had been almost stoned to death. What courage that took. I mean, this guy has serious guts. He goes right back to where he'd had all that opposition. That alone spoke volumes to them. In verse 22, it says, strengthening the disciples by encouraging them to continue in the faith? Well, you know what? It's pretty amazing to watch somebody do it himself. They saw in the life of Paul a living example of strength, of endurance, of continuing, not giving up because he came back. He'd been chased out of town, dragged out of town in multiple places, stoned almost to death in Lystra, and he goes back there. So his presence alone made a huge impact. And it says here, strengthening the disciples. Literally, it is strengthening the soul of the disciples, their inner person, who they really are inside. And we need that building up of our soul strength. I just want to ask you today, have you at all been neglecting that building up of your soul in the good news of Jesus, in the word of God? I wanna encourage you to nurture your soul, take time to to make sure God's at work in in, in daily ways to strengthen you with His promises, uh, with with following Him, with community, all those things that build soul strength. You know, um, I wanna give you a little update uh, on my uh, awesome wife, the awesome Ruth Steve. Here she is, uh, just a few days ago at our own community center. And uh, many of you know that it's been almost two years since Ruth had uh, was diagnosed with bone cancer, uh, went through a very a major surgery, uh, removing uh, her right pelvis. She was in a wheelchair for uh, 10 months. She went to a walker. Now she's walking. She walks around the house without uh, in, uh, in, her, her, um, her canes. When she's out and about, she'll still use those. But she's making great progress. She's cancer free, praise God but she's making great progress and she's walking two to up to five miles a day now. It's amazing. Um, she's in physical therapy, guys, uh, three days a week. Uh, she has to build up her strength again. Those muscles, and she's in swim therapy. She's, in, she's on a treadmill. She's doing all sorts of exercise. And she, her physical therapist said she is the most determined patient she's ever had. My wife is one who who knows about building up physical strength, of regaining that physical strength. But you know what is to me even more impressive? It's her soul strength. She's a person who has hung on to Jesus and not just survived but thrived, who has ministered to other people because she's strong in her spirit. Her roots in Jesus are strong, very strong and deep. And she has a soul strength that looks upon life with joy and with peace. And she's able to encourage other people that go through some of the difficulties of life. And there have been so many others like you who prayed for us, who've sent us cards, who's helped us in practical ways and have said kind words. All those things build up the soul. They're soul strengthening things in our lives. And I want to encourage you to not neglect your soul. Uh, a lot of us are super serious about, uh, about our physical strength. We want to make sure we, we stay healthy. We're certainly interested in that for our kids. We're in every conceivable sports thing, if they're sports kind of kids, and we wouldn't think of missing a practice. But sometimes the strengthening of our souls or of our children's souls, we're not quite as disciplined. We miss stuff all the time. We, we, we skip stuff that could help them where we wouldn't think of missing something for a physical or a sports thing. We, we sometimes kind of let the spiritual side of things slide either for our kids or or for even for ourselves. And I want to encourage you, just another word that Paul, the apostle Paul wrote to Timothy. He said, do not waste your time arguing over godless ideas. There's all sorts of distractions in our world where we can get caught up in stuff that doesn't matter really. It won't stand the test of time. Let me tell you something, Every Everything you see today, with very few exceptions, in a few years will be completely forgotten or largely forgotten. He says, instead, train yourself to be godly. Physical training is good. It is good. Way to go. Work out. Get your kids in sports. Do it for yourself. But training for godliness is much better. Promising benefits in this life, yeah, and in the life to come. So build up all of those things. Yes, physically is good, but spiritual training has benefits in this life and in the life to come. And he says, continue in the faith. The faith is the core of our, of what we believe. The faith is not just Sometimes it's used in the scriptures as a, as a, a verb that we trust in God. It's our, we're putting our faith in God and that sort of noun. But the other way that it's used is about that body of truth that, that we believe. John Stott, a great um, theologian, wrote these words. He, he says, the faith is, we can reconstruct it from the apostles' letters. It will certainly include the doctrines of the living God. The creator of all things, of Jesus Christ, his son, who died for our sins and was raised according to the scriptures, now reigns and will return. It includes the Holy Spirit who indwells the believer and animates the church. Of the salvation of God, of the new community of Jesus, and of the high standards of holiness and love, he expects and empowers his people toward. Of the sufferings which are our path following Jesus to glory and of the strong hope that is laid up for us in heaven. All of those things are the faith. It's what Christians have believed and taught for 2000 years is what we at Valley Church call the majors. We major on those majors. So make sure you have a strong grasp on those. And let me say this to you with all seriousness, if, if, if you hear something or are taught something or hear something that is not something that has been believed and taught by the church and then the scriptures for 2000 years, very high likelihood it's wrong because the body of truth, the faith, has not changed since the time of the apostles. It's unchanging. It's, it's timeless in its truth. We need to be gospel people if we're going to be strong. Okay, second principle, now, the secret of going the distance, of, of having that spiritual grace and grit is resilience. It's remaining true during hardships. It's that stick to It's that perseverance. Look, um, look at, uh, at verse, uh, end of verse 22. Strengthening the disciples by encouraging them to continue in the faith. Continue. Press on. Be resilient in this faith. And by telling them it is necessary to go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. So it's first this idea of resilience, continue, keep pressing forward. You know, there are things that have resilience in our world. We talked about them at the beginning. Uh, years ago, I was tra- traveling in Asia with a team and uh, it was happening to me on my birthday. And so the people there uh, that were from the, the, the nation got t- got together and the leaders there, and they gave me a birthday cake. And on top of the birthday cake was this kind of carousel, little merry-go-round that you lit it with candles, it opened up and it kind of turned in circles, and it played the birthday song, the little digital tune. Do, 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 it went on. It was it was incredible. But with the candles, everybody enjoyed the cake, took the cake home, took that little, that piece home, and it kept, it kept going, That song just kept, kept going. Uh, happy birthday too. It just kept beeping along, all right? Got home uh, with my roommate in, 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 our, uh, in, our, in our hotel room and the thing was still playing. And I said, that's it. You know, I, we, can't, we can't sleep with this thing going on. Like, I suppose I could have disconnected the battery or something, but you know, that's too high tech for me. So uh, too mechanical for me. So I just, I just took it and put it in the refrigerator uh, and couldn't hear it anymore. Shut the door and it was quiet. Four days later, opened up the fridge. It was still playing. Yes, it just kept going on and on. Folks, that is resilience. And that's the kind of resilience. We've got to have our batteries charged up by God's Holy Spirit and have the perseverance that Jesus can give to us and just keep persevering like Paul did here and like Jesus our Lord did. And then it says, he reminds us, it's necessary to go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. Now you talk about a verse that is timely. Let's read it. It is necessary to go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. There's a prosperity gospel out there that says, you know, God doesn't want you to suffer. God doesn't want you to go through any hardships or difficulties. It's all just health, wealth, good stuff. Uh, if you're experiencing a hardship because you don't have enough faith, something's wrong with you. And that is, this, is, this verse completely contradicts that and just demolishes it entirely. Can I say this to everybody listening, on the authority of the word of God, for us to experience the reign of God in our lives, to experience his true rule and reign, and to understand and then eventually to enter into eternity. It's a long road, guys, from here to eternity. And the Apostle Paul reminds us here, you know what? It's a long road. And it will be necessary to experience many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. Suffering is just part of the way of of Jesus. And it's through those trials and difficulties of life that God shapes our souls and makes us into the kind of people he wants us to be. I've talked about Ruth and I in our journey the last two years, but it goes further back than just two years. It's it's just a lifetime of challenges and difficulties and and tremendous blessings and comfort and encouragements. But there's been suffering along the way, difficulties, unexpected things, emotionally, relationally, physically, financially. I know you know what I'm talking about because everybody listening has heard and experienced these sort of things in their own lives. It's part of the journey. And part of the secret of being able to go the distance is to understand that, to grasp that, to accept that, and to say, God, this is part of the journey you have for me. Teach me through it. I want to learn. I want to be strengthened. I want to learn to lean into you and trust you in the midst of those hardships. And let me say this to you. Sometimes hardships are self-inflicted because of something that we've done wrong, poor choices we've made. But so many times in our lives, I really want to encourage you. It's not because you've done anything wrong. It actually may be because you're doing exactly what's right. It's just hard. Keep going strong. Keep following Jesus. Continue in the faith. Be strong in your soul and ask God for that spirit of resilience. He will be with you every step of the way. All right, let's keep going. Third secret of having God's grace and that grit to keep going strong is community. We need each other. And so he calls us to build a vibrant spiritual gathering where we come together in, in, in worship, and in community, when we come together in our life groups, when we come together in, in our Bible studies, when we come together in, 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 in with kids and with students and with adults, whoever it might be, we come together in community. Look what it ha- look, look verse 23. When they appointed elders for them in every church, so they you gotta start with good leaders, every every Every, uh, every gathering, every spiritual group needs leadership. And certainly the church does. And I'm so grateful for the incredible leaders that I have had the privilege of, of partnering with and, and leading together Who the past 30 years here at Valley Church. Incredibly, because start there, and I'm grateful for that. But then it says, and they, and in every church, the church is a gathering. The word church means coming together uh, in, in, in Hebrew. in, in the, the Greek word for this is, is, uh, is assembly. It's gathering. It's the, the body of Christ coming together with one another face to face. And, and it says they prayed with fasting. So they're serious about trusting God. And it says they committed them to the Lord. It's like they handed... Paul and Barnabas handed these leaders, and they said, this, this church is in your capable hands now. Guide it well. I think Paul and Barnabas were, like they're handing over the baby and saying, please take care of this baby we saw born. And that's what they did. They trusted God in everything. Everything was bathed in prayer and fasting and faith and trust in God. And it was in community. It was the church that came together to do that. So we need each other. We need that community. We need uh, that encouragement. Look what it says here in verse 24. They passed through Pisidia and came to Pamphylia. And after they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Atalia. So let me go to the map here real quick. So they were in Derby. They go to Lystra They backtracked. They could have taken a shortcut. Look at me. They could have taken a shortcut here and just gone over to Paul's hometown. It's 150 miles and made their way back that way to Antioch. Instead, they took the long cut. They went all the way around, all the way back that way because they wanted to strengthen people. Their love, their concern for these new believers in Jesus was so great. They said, We got to strengthen them. And so they did. And the way they strengthened them, and here's the clue it was in community. So other believers, and it was in the word. They said they spoke the word. This is the word of God. This is the Old Testament scriptures. And today for us, it's what they said, what the, the apostles taught coming down to us in the words of Jesus and the words of the apostles in the New Testament. It's the Bible, the word of God, you know, and it's not going out of style. It is timeless. It is a, the Bible is a timeless, perfect classic that has stood the test of time. There are certain things that don't stand the test of time. I came across this photo the other day at my house. It's a photo of my basketball team when I was in junior high, yep. And I'll tell you some things that stand out to me in this picture that did not stand the test of time. The shorts, short shorts, wow. The long uh, socks, the hairstyles, oh my. Here's me. Look, so that's me over there. Look at that hairstyle. Look at that. That's when I actually had hair. And, and then, but one thing that has come back is actually the Converse shoes. That's pretty cool. But most of it's out of style, out of date. Let me encourage you. The word of God is never going out of style. Uh, I came across a, a great article by a writer. And I just want to summarize what he said here. He said, he's the most despised, The Bible is the most despised, derided, denied, disputed, dissected, and debated book in all of history. The Bible has been under attack for centuries, for everything you can possibly imagine. And yet the Bible is still the most read, the most published, the most translated book in the world. Every single year, it is the best-selling book. And most importantly, it is still changing the lives of those who apply what it teaches and open their hearts to its message. One of the reasons I believe the Bible is the word of God is that it has survived so many attacks throughout history and changing times. And despite of all the attacks throughout history today, the Bible is the greatest single source of culture. It is the greatest single source for music, art and architecture. If you take the Bible out of culture, you would destroy most of the major music, artwork and architecture of the past 2000 years. The Bible has flourished in spite of unrelenting attacks during the past 2,000 years. The only item on the planet that will last is the word of God. Everything else we're told will burn up because truth is the only thing that's eternal. There was a man named Voltaire. Here he is, the famous French philosopher. He was a brilliant man, but he was an atheist. And he wrote a number of tracts deriding the Bible. Around 1776, Voltaire made a very bold statement, quote, In 1776, quote, 100 years from today, the Bible will be a forgotten book. Well, today everyone has forgotten Voltaire's quote, but they haven't forgotten the Bible. 100 years later, um, after his time in 1876, Voltaire's home, here it is, was the home of the president of the Evangelical Society of Geneva and was used as a distribution point for spreading Bibles throughout Europe. They distributed Bibles out of Voltaire's house. It's now a museum. Most people have forgotten Voltaire, but nobody has forgotten the Bible. And no matter what attacks may come the Bible's way, it always survives and it always will. You can absolutely depend on it. Jesus himself said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will never pass away. Guys, a community that is word-centered on the scriptures will endure. And a family, relationships, friendships, marriages that are built on the foundation of God's word can endure. Whatever comes your way. And the last, uh, last secret here is uh, number four is celebration. We need to celebrate. We need to enjoy the victories together. They finally got back to Antioch. And it says from there, they sailed back to Antioch where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work they had now completed. They'd gone full circle. They had finished that first missionary journey in history. And now they were back home where they had been sent from. It says in verse 27, after they had arrived and gathered the church together, they reported everything God had done with them and that he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. So they just kind of shared the God stories. They shared the victories. They shared these incredible response from people who were far from God and who didn't know anything about the living God prior to their arrival in their cities. And yet thousands upon thousands took hold and eventually millions in those places. And they spent a considerable time with the disciples. I want to go back to verse 27 for just a moment and just note a couple of things here. It says, when they arrived, they gathered the church together. The church comes together in worship. It's, it's a gathering place. It is a gathering, it's a gathered people where we come together. And they reported everything God had done, how they opened the door of faith. And then it says, and the next verse says, go ahead. They had spent a considerable time with the disciples. Time. Time together. It's what we need, guys. We need time together to celebrate to recount the amazing things God has done. To finish the work God's called us to do. Yes, to persevere. But then also at points along the way to say, it's time to have a party. It's time to celebrate. I want you to t- today, if you could mark on your calendar, Sunday, September 12th. And we're going to begin on that Sunday, a series of five incredible Sunday, Sundays of reunion, of coming together. I want to invite you uh uh, if you're able to join us in person uh, in, in a, a, a new series, we're going to be starting in a couple of months called Living as Light. And it's going to be five incredible weekends uh, of celebrating God's goodness. Adults, students, and children together. And so as you're ready, I, I would love for you to mark that date Sunday, September 12th, as a great time of coming together to celebrate the goodness of God. And finally, as we close today, we come back to something that Christians have done for 2,000 years that combine all of these things together. The gospel, yes. The the, the resilience, going through difficulties and, and sufferings, of community, of coming together, communion. And of celebration as we come to the Lord's table. As you, wherever you are, take the bread and take the cup, I invite you to remember the Lord Jesus. Can we pray together? Oh God, this is something that Christians have done together that has stood the test of time. It is, it is the remembrance of your death and resurrection. It is taking the bread in our hands, this very physical reminder of how much you love us, the good news. And then in our hands, the cup, symbolizing your blood shed on the cross for our sins. As we now partake together, oh God, remind us of these things, things that last so that our souls would be strengthened and so that we ourselves could go the distance by your grace and with spiritual grit along the journey of life. I pray this all in Jesus name and everybody agreed and said, Amen. Amen. God bless you guys.